All right, let's pray. Father God, we love you, and we thank you so much for your word. It is like bread to us. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that wherever we are right now, that you would just speak through your Holy Spirit. And I pray that our hearts would be fertile soil to hear what you have for us today. I love you, Father. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. As Gordon said, my name is Josh. It's good to see you guys here today. Uh, and we're going to be talking about that passage in John chapter 4. Uh, but just before we get into it, uh, I think it's kind of a good idea to put it in some context. So if we could, uh, I had the idea of, of putting some maps up, because I, I think it's kind of fun to look at maps. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm a teacher, so I'm kind of nerdy like that. But could we get the first map up? This, I thought this was, it has nothing to do with the story, but I thought it was interesting. Um, this just shows how big the, uh, Australia is. You can pick out the UK at the top, and there's South Africa on the side. France and Germany, quite a big place. We go to the next one, see if we can guess what this map is of. Anybody know what this is of? It's obviously stretched. Anyone take a guess? Population, very heavily in India and China, you can see that. Can anybody guess what the next one is, if you can put the next one up? It's close. It, yeah. uh, close to energy, this is the CO2 production countries. Interesting, isn't it? Take a look at Africa. It's almost not there, isn't it? And Africa is a huge continent, obviously. Um, I might say that Europe looks a little bit bigger than the United States, which might be a surprise to some people, but I won't bring that up. Can we go to the next, uh, the next map, please? Anybody know what this is? We got an A-star student in the front. Uh, when I was doing a little looking online, this is from, I think, from Cambridge, and I think this is one of the first maps of the British Isle. Um, as you can see, it's, it's actually not that bad, I think, it being four or 500 years old. Um, okay, we'll go to the last one, and this will kind of get us into our story here. Um, so just to give you an idea, some context, this is kind of the places where uh, the scene of, uh, of this story is taking place. What's basically happened is that the, the blue era is kind of where Jesus was, and the red arrow is kind of where he's wanting to go in Galilee. And the reason why he's doing this, just to give you some background, is because as he's gaining in popularity, um, the Pharisees are kind of, they're starting to realize, okay, well, this guy's starting to be a problem to us, and so they're starting to pay more attention to him. And what he's actually trying to do is kind of to get away, because um, he doesn't quite want to deal with the Pharisees just yet. He wants to kind of get out to the countryside where he can continue to preach his message to people. Uh, but obviously from going from the blue to the red, he could go many different, many different ways. And uh, traditionally what the Jews would often do um, is they wouldn't go straight from Judea right north to Galilee. They wouldn't do that because as you can see in the middle is a place called Samaria. And I'm sure most of you or some of you know this, but they didn't like going through Samaria because the Samaritans were kind of a, a half-breed race meaning that during the time of the, the northern captivity when, As, when Assyria took some Jews out of uh, the northern kingdom, they left some Jews there. But what happened over time was that they interbred with some of the people in the surrounding areas, and they created this half-breed race. And so an Orthodox Jew would either go around, you can see some of the roads, they would either go to the east around Perea or they would go to the west along the Mediterranean Sea and go up uh, to Samaria that way. Well, Jesus does not, does not do this. He goes straight through Samaria, um, 
And I think one of his biggest reasons to do that was a divine appointment with this woman uh, at a well that we're going to read about. And, you know, feel free to get get a Bible anytime, but we're just going to kind of go through this passage um, and we're going to see what is Jesus saying to this woman. And I think that the conversation is amazing. And I think we can apply this conversation to our lives now to see, hey, when we talk with someone about about God or about Jesus or about our faith, we can maybe pattern what we do after what Jesus does because I couldn't think of anybody else better to pattern what I say to people than him. Although it's interesting, when I talk to someone about Jesus, it's very different than Jesus talking to someone about himself, which is kind of interesting when you think about it. But um, So feel free to jump up and get a Bible if you need to, but we'll be in John 4. Um, and basically, there are three things I want us to see about this conversation. There's three things I want us to see about it. Um, Number one is that his conversation had spiritual intent, okay? Uh, so let's take a look at this, what this well uh, may look like. If you can go to the next one, uh, this is supposedly in the, in the town where this is taking place. This is supposedly the well. Obviously, it's been built up and built around. Doesn't, it didn't look like that a couple thousand years ago. If you go to the final slide, please. Um, this maybe might something of what it looked like. I don't think anyone knows for sure, but um, if you can kind of picture this, a woman coming to the well just like this one um, in the middle of the day. Obviously, it's a very hot environment, uh, but notice there's still vegetation growing, which is going to be, I think, important for what Jesus says to this woman. But maybe this is a kind of a picture in your mind that you can build when this conversation is going on. Um, so if we start uh, in, in verse 7, I remember thinking of that first thing we want to think about, a conversation that Jesus has, a spiritual intent. Verse 7 says, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Okay? So while we're listening to this conversation, I want you to be thinking about Jesus is talking about spiritual things and the, the, the woman, much like us, is mostly thinking just about physical or natural things. Okay, and she's very surprised um, that in the middle of a day, a Jewish man would talk to her, which anything, if you know about the culture, is very unusual for a man to talk to a woman who's not part of her family. Uh, and secondly, it's very unusual that this lady is out in the middle of the day gathering water. Okay, that probably means that, you know, there's something going on with her socially that she doesn't want to be around the other people in the town. And if you know the story and if you just listen to it being read, you can work out what that is. And so this woman is not wanting to be around people. She's having to go during the hottest part of the day. Uh, and Jesus asked her for a drink. And the way I kind of thought about this is it'd be kind of be like if, if you came out of Tesco with your shopping bag and uh, a random stranger walked up to you and said, hey, I noticed you bought some apples. Would you mind if I have one? You would just be thinking, well, I don't want to talk to you. I just want to get my groceries and move on. But uh, Jesus has an intent with this conversation. So after she says that, uh, in verse 10, Jesus says, answered her, uh, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you, given you living water. Okay, so Jesus is trying to move this conversation from the physical into the spiritual and he uses the phrase living water. Okay, and she would have hopefully known what that, what that is. Being partly Jewish, there's a lot of references in the Old Testament to living water. I'll just give you one. You don't have to turn there, but if you want, you can. It's Jeremiah 2.13. Jeremiah was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. 
uh, and they were, they were doing some really bad things in his day, and he writes about uh, God calling himself living waters. And verse uh, 13 in chapter two of Jeremiah says, for my people have committed two evils, talking about the children of Israel. Uh, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, or cut out of a rock, you know, a big cistern, a large kind of jar, um, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's a powerful word picture, okay? And what Jeremiah is explaining is that the people of Judah had made two mistakes. One is that they turned away from the one true God, and he likens himself to living water. And this comparison makes sense when you think about an area that's this dry, Okay, if you're in a dry, arid environment like this, if you have water, then you can have vegetation, you can have animal life, and people can live there as well. And God's saying, I'm like that, okay? In your dry souls, I'm that living water that gives life a chance to go, to grow. Uh, number two, he's saying, look, uh, the second thing that, that Judah did was not only turn away from the one true God, is they looked around to the other nations and they adopted and they took on their religious practices and they began to worship their gods. Instead of turning to the one true God for protection and provision, they turned to false gods. And the picture he paints of that is a broken cistern. In other words, a cistern is supposed to hold water, but what they've done is actually made a cistern that's broken. In other words, saying those gods are false gods. They can't protect you, they can't provide for you, uh, they don't even exist. And what we see is that when Jesus offers this woman living water, it is a beautiful picture of salvation. God the Father, pictured as living water, is offered to the woman through the Son or by the Son. And and by the way, as we believe as Christians, Jesus is the only way to access the living water of the Father. And the Bible kind of says it in many different ways, but one of the ways he says it is that there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And I I was thinking about that, and uh, we've got some friends, my wife and I do, that used to go to this church, and they moved away now, but we were thinking about buying a property, and we just got some wise counsel for some people. And uh, my friend said to me that there are three really stressful things in British life. He said, uh, death, divorce, and buying a house. And I thought he was joking. And after going through the process for three or four weeks, and if you've gone through this process, you know he was not joking. It is an absolute nightmare. Um, You know, we went and looked at a few properties, and I said, well, great, this one looks nice. Talking to the state agent, said, hey, can I go talk to, um, can I talk to the person who's selling the house and just see, you know, kind of maybe what they'd want for it? And the state agent, I thought they were going to jump through the phone and strangle me. No, you can't go talk to them. You have to come through us. So, okay, I'll go through you. You can talk to them on my behalf. Um, one, you know, once everything gets farther on the process, you have to involve a solicitor. They send you all the paperwork. You can't deal with the state agent now or the mortgage person. You have to go through the solicitor. So it, it's, that, it's that idea of being a mediator. You don't go directly to something. You go through someone else. And if, you know, if you're a Christian, you hear a lot of Christians pray uh, at the end of their prayer, they say, in Jesus' name. And, and that's just a recognition. It's some, I think we use it as kind of an add-on, but actually, it's a recognition that we can pray to God because of the work that Jesus has done on the cross. So we can go through that, and we can come to the Father freely. It's a beautiful picture. So once again, the first thing you think about in, in conversations that Jesus is having, and obviously the application is clear, is that he had conversations with spiritual intent. Number two, um, Jesus makes a connection between the here and now and the eternal or the physical um, and, and the supernatural or the here and now and eternity. He makes that constantly 
um, in his conversations with people, especially here. And if you look at verse 11, um, after saying these things, she says to him, sir, uh, you don't have anything to draw with and the well is deep. In other words, he says, look, if you ask me, I will give you living water. And her response, which is very natural, is, well, you don't even have a bucket. How are you going to get me any water? Because she's thinking physical. Verse 12, and she says, you are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. That's the physical, that's the here and now. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So he's trying to get this lady to understand, look, you're thinking about right now, you're thirsty, you can gather enough water in your jar for maybe a day, maybe two, I don't know. But I'm talking about something, I'm talking about water that extends to eternity. Um, I remember just a, a, a couple weeks ago, I said before as a teacher, and we had a, I'm a math teacher, and uh, we had a supply teacher in the math department. And I was just trying to get to know him, kind of have a chat with him, and we began talking. And, and he asked me a very common question, you know, what did you do this weekend uh, or last weekend, something like that. And I love it when people ask that question because I always say, oh, we did this on Saturday, and then we went to church on Sunday. We love our church. It's fantastic. And why I kind of always say that is because some people, when you say that, will be interested. You know, some people won't care that you go to church, but some people will be interested. And they'll say, they'll say oh, you go to church, blah, 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 and they'll ask you more questions. And, and he was interested. So he started asking me questions about my faith and what I believe, and I was just answering them. And then finally, I got the opportunity to turn to him and say, so what do you believe? And he said, well, my father doesn't believe he's an atheist. I kind of think there might be a God, but to be honest, I'm not really bothered about it. I'm not really worried about it. I'm getting married in a few months. I'm not even going to think about it. And I think the bell rang. We had to go to the next class. And I saw him later that day at lunch. And I remember just God speaking to me saying, you know, um, he should really think about that question. And I thought, yeah, he probably should. So I just went to him and I said, you know, being a math teacher, I said, if we talk about probability real quick, and I'm not saying do this, but this is what, you know, God told me to say. I said, if you think about the Bible, you know, the Bible talks about us, you know, living eternally in, in one or two places, heaven or hell. I said, some people believe that when you die, you get another chance and you come back. Some people believe that when you die, that's it, you're done. I said, really, there's only three or four things that possibly could happen. I said, you know, I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just saying um, it might be worth thinking about that question. And that was it. And he thought, you know what? Yeah, that, that's a good point. And he went off. And, you know, I don't know if he thought about it or not, but I personally believe that God planted a seed with that conversation just to get him thinking about things. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to get her to think about eternal things. Unfortunately, though, her response is still physical. The woman says back to Jesus after he talks about eternal life, she says to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. So again, Jesus is saying spiritual things. She's thinking physical. She's thinking, well, I don't want to have to keep coming out here and getting this water. Okay? So she's still not getting the message. Now transitioning to the third thing Jesus says in response to this, okay? And this one is one that kind of maybe a bit more uh, in your face, but nonetheless, this is, this is what Jesus says. Uh, in the conversation, Jesus essentially helps her to come to the understanding that she actually does need a savior. In other words, he, he gets kind of personal and he opens up the door to her life, which she knows because he knows everything because he's God, so that she can finally understand he's not talking about physical water. He's not talking about physical things. He's talking about spiritual things. Verse 16, he says to her, uh, go call your husband. Tell your husband to come here. 
which is strange because they're not talking about marriage, they're not talking about anything like that. And the woman answered him and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have truly said. Now, this is, this is kind of, you know, for us, it's kind of, why is Jesus bringing up her sin? You know, I, I, I can get with talking to people about how much God loves them. I can get with talking to people about him being living water, bringing life to a dry place. I can get that, but why does Jesus have to bring up sin? It's the ugly S word. And thinking about this and struggling with this in my walk, um, I really do believe uh, and definitely from scripture that because this idea of people needing a savior is absolutely part of the gospel. In other words, you can tell people that God loves them and tell people that Jesus died for them, but if, if they're like me, I wouldn't understand why. I didn't ask Jesus to die for me. I think I'm a pretty good person. I've never committed a murder. Why is that that I need that? Why do I need that? I remember one time I was in uh, Ealing Broadway, just, and I've told this story before the evening service, but it illustrates the point, I think, really well. I was walking around Ealing Broadway with, with my son, and my wife was getting a haircut, and on Saturday, as you know, the, um, Muslims set up a table, and they evangelize. And I was just kind of walking back and forth, and I remember God just speaking to me, like, you need to go talk to them. I'm thinking, I don't want, I just, I just want to walk around and just enjoy the day. I don't want to get into an argument. And I kept, I kept, he just kept speaking to me about go by, go by, go by, go talk to them. So I pushed the buggy by and I said, okay, Lord, if you want me to speak to one of these guys, then you, you need to have them come up to me and talk and I will do it. So sure enough, of course, I walk by and there's people everywhere. The guy comes right up to me and hands me a track. And he was a, he was a white British guy in his mid forties. Uh, we talked for probably 15 or 20 minutes. He was a great guy, grew up in the Church of England. Um, and, you know, after he kind of shared a story with me, we started talking about Jesus. And what I, what I say is we played Jesus ping pong, which means I said, this is who Jesus is. He said, no, Jesus is this. And he hit the ball back. Well, I said, no, Jesus is this. He said, no, Jesus is that. It was going absolutely nowhere I was talking about, about God and Jesus and who he is. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit said, why don't you ask him about his sin? And I was like, I don't want to do this, but he kept saying, just, just, just ask him. Don't insult him, just ask him. And so I said, okay. Um, what do you think that God's going to do when you stand before him uh, about your sin? In other words, you, know, you believe you're a sinner, so what is going to happen? And he was kind of like, well, what do you mean? And he kind of gave, gave me this, like, scripted answer. He didn't answer the question. And so I asked him again, you know, no, your personal sin, don't talk in general. What, 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 is, what is God going to do with your personal sin? He gave me the scripted answer. And this went on for three or four times. And I asked him three or four times in a row. I wasn't in his face. I wasn't yelling. I was very humble. I said, no, what is he going to do with your sin? And finally, he was frustrated. And he just said, well, God's just going to forgive me. Don't you believe that God can forgive you? And the Holy Spirit just said, no, not without Jesus, he can't. Can't do it. Because he has to punish your sin, and he's done that with Christ on the cross. So if you believe in that, your sin's forgiven. If not, you're going to pay for it. And you could see the lights. You know, the light came on. And he stopped. For the first time, he was actually listening he was actually listening and the spirit was moving in his heart and it, it was strange because I wasn't talking about Christ first because he knew all the stuff about Christ. I was talking about him, his need for a savior, which he never really got with Islam. And unfortunately by that time, two of his friends had gone, uh-oh, there's something wrong and they kind of came over and I said, well, you guys have a good day and I kind of walked on. Um, well, that, but, the, but once again, just, just to remind us, that those three things that Jesus is talking about in this conversation, spiritual intent, 
eternity and the need for a savior. And I know some of that makes, definitely make me feel uncomfortable in that time. It might make us feel uncomfortable. <clears throat> and, and probably uh, you can imagine this lady at the well feeling really uncomfortable when Jesus said that about her relationship uh, with the person she was living in. You could imagine how uncomfortable she felt. And so uh, she did what any of us would probably do, which is change the subject. So she, Jesus says to her, you know, you're not living with your husband. You're not living right. And then in verse 20, she says, well, our fathers worship in this mountain. <laughs> it has nothing to do, once again, with what Jesus is saying. And you people say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, this is so funny, woman, believe me, which in that culture is, respect, is, is a term of respect here. It's not so much. But woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we do. In other words, Samaritans worship what they don't. Jews worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. I'll explain that in just a minute. Verse 23, I think this is the most important verse in this bit. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. And by the way, I can just say, the Father is seeking true worshipers. But just to explain this a little bit, where she was coming from is being a Samaritan and not a Jew. She didn't believe in all the Old Testament, just the first five books. And so the Samaritans worshiped on a mountain, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was, it was a mountain where Abraham first offered a sacrifice. So they said, this is where we're supposed to worship. Jews obviously said, no, we have the full revelation of the Old Testament, all the prophets, we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. So she's just asking a contentious question just to try to change the subject. And Jesus says, no, look, you, you don't get it. Okay? God the Father doesn't want you to worship through rituals. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to worship because you think you're coming to him and trying to be a good person. He wants you to worship him because your heart is right with him. So in verse 23, it says, but an hour is coming. He's talking about in the future, the short future, he's going to go to the cross and one of the amazing things that happened on the cross, if you remember, the, the big curtain that separated the Holy of Holies, where God actually physically dwelled, that curtain was, turn, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. So you can now go into the Holy Holies and, and access God. In other words, you didn't have to come to the temple to worship. You didn't have to go to the mountain. You didn't have to go to the forest. You can worship in your bedroom, out in the streets, anywhere. It didn't matter. And you might think, well, yeah, that's kind of obvious. But, you know, even today, there are millions and maybe billions of people who have to worship in a certain place. And we all know people that pray, or when they pray, they have to pray in a certain direction because it's toward a certain place. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not about that. It's about your heart. It says the Father is seeking people who worship him in spirit and in truth. The spirit meaning not the Holy Spirit, but your spirit, your heart. Is it in the right place? Are you worshiping because you love God and you want to? What he means when he says worshiping in truth just simply means the truth about the coming Messiah. While we're talking about the Jewish people here in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, always talks about the coming Messiah and the truth of that. And that's what God is seeking from his worshipers, understanding that we need a Savior. The Messiah has come, and he wants us to worship him from a heart that's full of joy, not ritual. Um, I'm a, I'm a year, well, I was a year nine form tutor, um, and Ramadan started, as you know, a couple weeks ago. And uh, I have a, quite a few Muslim students, and they always talk to me, and they know I'm a Christian, and it's a great conversation. And I remember we were doing sports day uh, the last week of school, and I was trying to get my form to be involved in sports day, even though it was really hot. And this, I have one boy who's a great, great kid, great student. Um, and I just said, hey, you're going to participate. You know, we'd love to have you come out and do something. He was like, I would love to, but I can't eat or drink. 
for the whole day. Sun up, sun down. It's like 18 hours, you know. And I just, I, I didn't make fun of him. I didn't say anything. That's my heart was just like, man, I just can't believe that. And I, t- I remember I asked him to come up when everyone else was working. I just said, you know what? Um, I just want you to know that God wants you to love him and he loves you. I said, that when you think about fasting, please fast. Don't not fast. But that's what he wants from you is to love him. And he loves you. And, of course, he kind of looked at me like, should you be telling me this in school? Probably not. Just go sit down. But I just wanted him to know that. I said, it's not about the ritual. Last two verses, the woman said to him, um, I know the Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. And he will declare all things to us. In other words, he'll sort all this out. And Jesus just looks at her and says, I who speak to you am he. And, it, and just because I'm, a, a, once again, a nerd, that, that word he should be italicized in your Bible, which means it's not in the original language. And what Jesus is literally saying to her is, um, I who speak to you am I am, and that's reminiscent of when Moses was spoken to in the burning bush by God, and he said, I am, the great I am. And this is one of the strongest statements found all throughout the Gospel of John that Jesus is identifying himself with the Father. Jesus never says in the Bible, I am God, because that word God didn't mean anything to the Jews. The word I am does, and so that's what Jesus repeats time and time again in the Gospel of John. So what's the end of the story as we come into land? Well, verse 27, and I'm going to kind of go through this more quickly. The disciples come back, and they hear the last bit of this conversation. Because the amazing thing about a lot of, a lot of things happen in the Bible is Jesus is doing it for the disciples. They hear the last bit of this conversation, and they feel awkward. Because Jesus is talking to a woman, alone by themselves, and she's a Samaritan. But it's funny, if you read the scripture, they wouldn't say anything. They were too scared to say anything. They just stood there like, uh. And then this is amazing. Don't miss the little bits in the Bible. And by, it, the Bible's amazing. You should read it. Verse 28. She leaves her water pot. There's her water pot. She left it. And she goes and tells people about Jesus. Now, I might make an argument that the whole reason she came to the well was to get water. And then after talking for Jesus for 10 minutes, what does she do? She puts the water pot down, and she goes, and she tells people about Christ and what he said to her. Uh, If that's not a picture of a changed heart, I don't know what is. And I think about that, and I just try to apply it to my life, and I think, "I (laughs) I I don't know that I would do that. But nevertheless, she does. Pick back it up in verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples are urging him, saying, Rabbi, you need to eat. In other words, they went off to get food and bring it back, and Jesus says to them, you don't understand, my food I've already got is to do the will of the Father. And they say, what do you mean, you have food? It's the same conversation with a woman. Jesus is talking about spiritual things. Disciples are talking about physical food. He's not talking about that. Verse 35, and this is what kind of the last bit of application. Um, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Picture a big, huge field of grain, maybe as far as you could see. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white for the harvest. And some commentators will say, if grain is kind of a brownish color, when the head comes to fruit, when it's about to be um, harvested, it turns white. And if their robes were kind of a whitish color and they were on the backdrop of a grain field, Jesus was making a powerful picture. I don't know if that's true or not, but some commentators would say it is. But the point is this, okay, for us. We, we do need to go, go through our lives, and we need to do those things like get water. We need to do those things like get our tires changed, go to the garage, drop our, our, our children off at, at football practice and things like that. But as we're going through those regular motions of everyday life, don't just be so focused on the physical. 
that you miss the spiritual things, that you miss the people that are all around us, that you miss those conversations with spiritual intent, with talking about eternity, with talking about the need for your Savior. Don't miss that. Because Jesus likens the will of the Father or being obedient to God as food. And that, that's kind of crazy. Because when I think of being obedient to God, I think about something that's difficult and hard and unpleasant, when in actuality, it's like eating food. And all of us have been hungry, and we know what it feels like to be starving, sit down at a table and eat a meal and be satisfied. And Jesus is saying, do you want to be satisfied with your life? And do the will of the Father. It will satisfy you like a good meal when you're hungry. What a different way of looking about being obedient. What an amazing picture. Uh, so what I'm going to do now is just kind of recap some of these points. I'm kind of going to kind of do it like in a prayer, okay? Um, so if you want to right now, just you can kind of close your eyes and just, I'm going to be still for just a second. We can think about some of these things. The worship team's going to come. I'm going to pray over us. And then just respond as the Holy Spirit tells you to. Okay, so let's just close our eyes and just be still for just a moment. Holy Spirit, please come. And I just pray for us. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you come right now. And God, each of our hearts is fertile soil. God, I pray that you would just take this word and implant it in each of these people here who are your 